What's up, my good peoples? Welcome to the Be Transformed Podcast, where we're talking about ideas that stimulate wholesome thinking into identity, purpose, vision, and action. I am James Anderson, and my good peoples, it's good to be back. It's been a hot minute. It really has, but I'm back. This is the BT Podcast 2.0. Yes. A little bit louder, a little bit clearer, a little bit... Just a little bit more. <clears throat> yeah. So today, my good peoples, this is this is a bit of a topic I've been marinating in here for a little while. Um, this idea of taking new territory, and this is really probably kind of like the the intro into where we're going. So if you're new to BT, be transformed. Even if you're old, old to BT, welcome. The reason Be Transformed exists is to help people grow in understanding of who God is, who they are, what this life is about, and how to get into it. This is about growth, development, um, taking higher levels of responsibility for yourself, for your outcome in life, for the, and for your surroundings, for your, your sphere of influence. This is about how to, 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 how to live in the kingdom and unleash the kingdom in the world. And, um, yeah, and I think this, this, this topic of taking new territory, um, yeah, it's really going to be the intro into kind of getting into some of the strategies and the mindsets and just kind of the process of establishing the kingdom of heaven on earth in the world, using your gifts where the people are. Um, yeah, so I'm excited about this topic. I've been marinating it, in it for a little while. And um, yeah. Let's get into it. So when Israel was coming out of the promised land, sorry, that's incorrect. When Israel was coming out of the land of bondage, land of Egypt, to go to the promised land, is, it's, is very interesting. And it gives us some insight into some of the problems that can arise kind of when you come out of bondage to freedom and how to adjust into the mindset of freedom because freedom has a totally different mindset and mentality than bondage does. There, believe it or not, and we'll, we'll, we'll see this, <laughs> there can be like a level of comfort in bondage. The people of Israel, right? So from Joseph, who um, became second to Pharaoh, from him, there was 430 years of Israel really becoming a nation. And 
in that time, they became slaves of Egypt. So these people who were coming out of Egypt to the promised land were born into slavery. They were born into that mentality. So they grew up with a conditioned mindset of what it was what it, what it was like to live life like it it was normal to be a slave it was normal to live in bondage it was normal for somebody else to tell you what to do when to do it when to show up when you could go home like it it, it became normal for somebody else to lead their lives and to have very limited control over your own life. That was normal. Or shall we say, not normal, but um, common. Because just, just because something's common doesn't make it normal or it doesn't make it natural. It doesn't make it right or correct. But when it's all you've known you don't know anything else. So one of the challenges that they're faced of bringing Israel out of the land of bondage, well, I guess really probably the main, the main challenge, <laughs> the main challenge was the people's mindset. Getting the people out of Egypt was easy. I mean... God was like, look, God set up Moses, sent him out there, say, hey, this is what's going to go down. I'm going to send you out there. You know, this was after a little bit of uh, Moses needed some convincing that he was the right man for the job. But God was like, hey, I'm going to send you out there. You're going to ask, you're going to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. He's going to tell you no. And, you know, we're going to perform these signs and wonders and I'm going to display my, 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 my power, my glory to the world. And um, yeah, so all that happened, all that went down, and that was easy. It's easy for God to do these things, right? And so God delivers Israel out of the hands of Egypt, right? And then they're leaving, and it's actually quite interesting. God says, uh, it might be Exodus 16, but that might not be correct, but when they're walking out of Egypt, God says, hey, I'm not going to take Israel through the land of the Philistines, which is the shorter way to get to the promised land, because they'll have to engage in battle. And if these guys engage in battle, they're going to change their mind and go back the way they came. They're going to go back to Egypt. So right out the gate, God is clarifying and saying, hey, these people's mentality isn't built up enough for them to be able to, to take on certain kinds of challenges because they'll misinterpret the challenges and it'll cause them to quit and turn back to bondage, which I'm leading them out of. That's fascinating. That's intense. So he says, all right, we're going to go the way of the Red Sea. <laughs> which is kind of hilarious because that really, it did not appear to actually be a way, right? <clears throat> so the Israelites are going towards the Red Sea. 
And then, bam, here comes the army of the Egyptians. And now what? Now you've got their, the Israelites are, they're in the middle, right? They're on one side is the army, on the other side is the Red Sea. Well, God's like, hey, nobody panic, you know, parts the Red Sea. Everybody goes through it. Egyptians try to go through it, get uh, drowned. No problem. It's easy. It's easy. It's easy. This is, this is interesting. It's easy to deliver Israel out of bondage. It became very challenging to get Israel into the promised land. <laughs> that doesn't seem like that makes any sense. It was easy to get the Israelites out of Egypt. It was hard to break the mentality of Egypt. It was easy to get them out of Egypt, but it was hard to get Egypt out of them. These same people who, who God had purposed to go into the promised land didn't actually make it to the promised land, not because God couldn't do it, but because these people couldn't follow God. They couldn't trust in him. They had some trust issues, right? Every time they came up to a bit of uh, some shortage, right? There was a water shortage, food shortage, water shortage, food, food shortage. Like it was a, it was a pattern. Well, every time they came to a shortage, they were like, why the heck did you guys bring us out here? Why did God bring us out here to kill us? Why didn't he kill us back in Egypt? Because at least we had food. Like, at least we wouldn't have starved to death. They're like, it's fine if we die, but at least we had our comforts. The comforts. (laughs) I heard it said... Sometimes you can get so comfortable and so used to nothing that nothing starts to seem like something, right? They're like, at least we could have, you could have killed us in Egypt where we had food. So every time they ran into a shortage, they interpreted the situation wrong. They, they thought there's no way we can get out of it. There's no way for this to turn around. God brought us out here to kill us. It was like they went from the slave master they knew to a new slave master they didn't know and who seemed more harsh and was out there, you know, for their destruction. And what was interesting is these guys had just come out of Egypt and they were literally following like a physical pillar of cloud and of fire. Like it it, it wasn't just like they had to believe. I mean, there was a physical manifestation that they were following. But they, they, they had a really hard time picturing God correctly. And so they would freak out and complain to Moses whenever, you know, things got tough. And then Moses would pray and then God would provide. And so they, they never really understood. They never really grabbed a hold of who God really was. And so in the end, that, that mentality never changed. In fact, it became more and more reinforced to the point that they finally got to the promised land and after they got the law and then they wouldn't go in. 
they're like, hey, Moses, let's, uh, let's send some spies in the land. They can check it out. They can tell us which ways we should go. And Moses was like, that sounds like a good idea. Let's do it. So they picked uh, one person from each tribe. So 12 people went in, and for 40 days, they were in the land scouting it out, checking it out, and they came back. And they came, it took two guys to carry a cluster of grapes. But here's these guys, man. They came back, they saw the land. They're like, dude, everything God said about this land was legit. I mean, it's for reals. I mean, there's two guys to carry one cluster of grape. I mean, that land was massively abundant. But they're like, but there's one problem, which is a really big problem. And it's that the people are huge and the cities are fortified. So, yes, the land's amazing, but there's no way we could actually possess it. Right? And so Moses, man, he's trying, he's trying to get everybody, he's trying to change everybody's perspective because these guys came back and bam, they just started whining. And then boom, that whining was contagious and everybody just started going into a negative downward spiral and we're like, nope, this ain't going to happen. We're not going to be able to do it. There's, there's, there's just no way God brought us out here to kill us. He was going to deliver us into these people's hands. You know, it's just like just, every worst case scenario is what they're is what they're picturing. The worst ways you could picture God, this is how they're picturing him. And so finally God's like, dude, forget it. This junk ain't happening. God literally changed his plans because the people wouldn't participate. The people he wanted to take into the promised land wouldn't go. He brought them out of bondage to bring them into freedom, but they, 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 they didn't have the right perspective. And so they couldn't take the right responsibility. They couldn't take the right approach. And it, it disqualified them from the very thing God intended to give them. Oh, this is nuts. God literally changed his plan because the people wouldn't go. They wouldn't change their mind. In fact... They, they just, they straight up wouldn't listen, right? So to the point where God was like, hey, that's it. You're not going. Forget it. And people are like, no, no, no. Our bad. My bad. Woo, let's go. God's like, God tells Moses, he's like, you better tell those people not to go because I'm not going with them. And they're like, no, no, no. We're going to go. We're going to go. So they go and they just get spanked. And so these people have to walk, wander around the desert for 40 years. And... um yeah, and so this is kind of where we're going to pick up here in, in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is Moses' farewell speech. This is kind of the transition from Moses to Joshua, and Moses kind of goes over God's commandments, and just for everything <laughs> Moses is worth, he's, he's, he's trying to set these people up for success. He's just like over and over and over and over and over. He's like, for the love. He's like, you're going to go into this land. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be full of abundance. There's, there's copper in the hills. There's iron in the rocks. I mean, uh, there's, there's, there's wheat. There's barley. There's, oh, my gosh, you're going to get fat. Like, you're going to have so much, you're going to get fat. He said, when you get fat, when you're sitting in your chair and you're just, you're so happy, do not forget it was the Lord your God who brought you here. Don't start making for yourselves these carved images saying these are the gods who brought us here. Don't do it. He said, because that's not what happened. He's like, this land is the land that God is giving you. 
this is your, your, your abundance is to display to the world God's goodness. It's your nation is to be the representation. It's, it's to be the, the standard that other nations use to function. It's funny because Moses says these things like over and over and over. And I realized, I was like, Moses is still trying to change these people's mindset. They wandered around the desert for 40 years eating manna every day. And these people, he's still trying to change their mind. This is why you would repeat something over and over. Because you can say something once and you can get like... um, what do you call it? You can get like um, intellectually stimulated, right? Like, like you learn something new or you hear something and you're like, oh man, that was legit. Like that was like, it speaks to you. But then a couple of days later, you forget all about it and you could, you just go about your business. Right? So it, what you heard didn't actually get inside of you. It, it, it's not, it's not changing your perspective or your paradigm, right? Your belief system. So repetition, so if that thing spoke to you, then you would want to review it and you would review it again, you would review it again and keep reviewing it. Because what happens is, is through that repetition, it's, it's getting absorbed and downloaded into your subconscious, into your belief, your belief system. You're, trying, you're beginning to change your perspective and your, your outlook on life, on God, on your neighbor, on you know, the situation and circumstances of life. Like you're letting, you're, you're, you're cultivating that word, which is a seed, right? Full of potential. You're cultivating that down into like the, the, the essence of who you are. So he's repeating himself over and over and over. And, you know, he's like, look, you got to these commandments, <laughs> these things, dude, you got to freaking you, you have got to write them on your doorpost. You got to put them on your fence. You got to you got to talk about them with your kids. You got to talk about them when you wake up. You got to talk about them when you go to bed. You got to talk about them in the evening when you're just chilling. Right. Like you got to You got to you got to put a. Uh, uh, a wristband on you got to you got to put tassels on your clothes like you got to. You got to put these things in front of you, and you got to cultivate them and marinate them so that they it becomes a normal part of existence. It becomes a normal normal part of your everyday living. Like you, when you breathe, you're breathing in the knowledge of God. When you when you exhale, you're exhaling like the goodness and glory and the greatness and uh, the the God and His exploits of how He took you out of Egypt and brought you into the Promised Land. Right? He's like. Like this has to become your new culture. The new culture of freedom causes you to remember the greatness and the goodness of God and the abundance that you live in came from him, right? He's just over and over, just get it in. This is how you change your mind. And this is the book of Deuteronomy is that Moses is just, he's, he's trying to propel these people, man, into a future. He's like, for the love. He's like, you guys are going to cross over. It's going to be amazing. God's going to deliver you from these people, but Whatever you do, <sighs> once it's all said and done and everything cools down and you got your big farms and, and just your, your storehouses are just like you got to tear them down and build bigger ones because just you plant one seed and a hundred more things pop up. Don't forget the Lord your God. You got to change that mind. So 
in Deuteronomy, this is where Moses is setting up the people to actually cross over the land. But before they cross over the land, there's a couple Amorite kings on this side of the Jordan that, um, that God wants them to dispossess. And um, let, me, let me pull this up here. In, in Deuteronomy 2, we'll start at uh, verse 16. So Mo, at this point, Moses is recounting this story um, to, to the people. So he says, So it was, when all the men of war had finally perished from among the people, that the Lord spoke to me, saying, This day you were to cross over to Ar, A-R, the boundary of Moab, and when you come near the people of Ammon, do not harass them or meddle with them, for I will not give you give any of them into your land because they're the descendants of Lot. Um, let me skip down, because then he's like, then they cross over to another place, which is the descendants of Esau, and he's like, all right, don't, uh, don't mess with these people either. So here down at 24, sorry. Rise, take your journey and cross over the river Arnon. Look, I have given it into your given into your hands Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. Begin to possess it and engage him in battle. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole heaven, who sh- who shall hear of the re- of the report of you and shall tremble and begin to anguish because of you. All right. So it's beginning. All the people who, I, 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 I'm pretty sure it was like year 20 and older, who were in the first round to go into the promised land, those guys are all dead. All right. So now you have their, their kids and their kids' kids who are now about ready to move over. But before they move over, there's actually some territory on this side of the Jordan that they're going to take over. So, so yeah, so they cross over the river Arnon, and they go over there, and he says, all right, I'm giving you this land. And this is the instruction he gives. He says, begin to possess it and engage in battle. He says, I'm giving you this land, so begin to possess it. This is... This is interesting. The order in which these instructions are given is kind of mind-blowing. Because he says, I'm giving you this land. All right, this land, is, it's possessed by these other people, like other people are living there. He says, so I want you to go into it and then possess it. Begin to live on it. Act like it's yours, because it is. And then engage in battle, because by, by possessing it is going to create conflict. This is interesting. All right. Now, not only is that process interesting, but two, he's like, all right, I'm, we're going to use this to set you up for success in the future because it's, it's going to create dread upon everybody. Everybody's going to hear about it, hear about what you did, and then they're going to cross over Jordan, and it's just everybody's hearts are going to melt. All right, so then this is what Moses does. This is interesting. He says, okay, and he says, and I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kedmoth to Sio, king of Heshbon, with words of peace, saying, let me pass through your land. 
I will keep strictly to the road, and I will turn neither to the right nor the left. You shall sell me food for money that I may eat, and give me water for money that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot, just as the descendants of Esau, who dwelt in Sire, and the Moabites, who dwelt in Ar, did for me, until I crossed the Jordan to the land which the Lord our God has given us. But Sio, king of Heshbon, would not let us pass through. For the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate, that he might deliver him into your hand as it is today. And the Lord said to me, See, I've begun to give Sio and his land over to you. Begin to possess it, that you may inherit the land. <laughs> this is interesting. So the instructions were, possess the land and engage in battle. Moses sends the king a letter by way of messengers and, and said, hey, I'm going to pass through your land. Let me pass through freely. Sell me food. Sell me water. And um, just like I did in these other places. <laughs> this is just funny because that's not what God said to do. But anyways, God's like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm hardening his heart. He's not going to let you pass. But this is how we're going to create that conflict to create that battle. But then again, here in, in, um, in verse 31, God says, like, he says, see, look, I'm giving him over to your hand. Begin to possess the land that you may inherit it. So, so then the, the king comes out uh, to fight in battle, and the Lord delivered them into his hand. And then it happens with one more king before they cross over. Now, but this is fascinating, right? So this, this, this whole idea of taking new territory. God said, I'm giving you this land. So begin to possess it and engage in battle. So if you will, right? Like in the spirit, the land was already Israel's. Like God had already decided this is what's happening. Bam. So it's done. But for God's plan and God's purpose to be manifested on earth, it required the cooperation of his people, right? God's goal was to get, was for Israel to possess this land. But the only way they were going to possess it is if they began to possess it and engaged in battle. God's purposes require man's cooperation. I'm not saying he can't work out a side of that. I'm just saying on a whole, God requires the cooperation of mankind because God gave mankind authority on earth. Mankind were his agents on earth to do his will, which is why when God wanted to deliver Israel out of Egypt, he called a man. He called Moses, right? And later on, when he wants to deliver Israel <laughs> after, after they go sideways and the nations come and attack him and then the people come back to God, every time he wants to deliver them, what's he do? He calls a man. He calls a person. Calls a prophetess, right? He calls his people to do something to manifest what he wants to do, to manifest his deliverance, to bring freedom. What God wants to do 
requires our cooperation. God gave Israel this land, but the land was possessed by another group of people. Like another group of people possessed it, right? Not like demon-possessed, but possessed as an ownership. But God transferred the ownership. But for that to be manifested in the physical, the people of God had to do something. They had to participate in the plan. And that's the point we're making here, is that the things that God wants to do requires you, and it requires me. And because of that, it requires that we, we think differently about how God acts, about how God works. It's, it, it's going to necessitate that we think differently about who we are and why we are and what we're called to do and how we get into it. Right, th this idea that if it's meant to be, it'll just happen. We're going to have to kind of rework that. Because the saying that says, if it's meant to be, it's up to me, that saying is more accurate than the saying of, if it's meant to be, it'll just happen. God's purpose was to bring Israel into the promised land. The first round of people refused to go. They refused to trust. They refused to believe that God would deliver them from these people who were huge. They were scary. They were, they were more sold on the idea that the people were scary, and they were more sold on their, their enemies' ability to kill them than they were on God's ability to dispossess the people. Because to dispossess the people required that the people of God went into battle. They had to go into battle. For God to give them into their hands, they had to put their hand to the plow, if you will. They had to put their hand on the sword. They had to go and fight these people for God to deliver those people into their hand. If the people didn't go, God couldn't deliver the enemy into their hands. The things that God wants to do on this earth, it requires our attention. It requires our action. It requires our trust. It requires our cooperation, our co-laboring, our working together with God to accomplish the things he wants to accomplish. God's going to do what he said he's going to do. He got the people of Israel into the promised land. But <laughs> the first round of people who wanted to go didn't go. Then... <laughs> And then before, even before the first round got to the Jordan, the first time, <laughs> Moses is on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, this bad boy's a blaze, right? I mean, the smoke is billowing up. 40 days, he's, he's up there, oh my gosh, in the presence of God. Getting the Ten Commandments, God's writing, you know, God brought stone and wrote the Ten Commandments on him and whatever. <laughs> the people, I this is, see this is where the mentality gets so jacked up. Their mentality was so bad that even that physical representation, Moses was gone, and they're like, they concluded, bam, hey, we don't know if Moses is ever coming back. He was gone for a long time. That's over a month. And so they're they're <laughs> so stupid. I just it's so dumb. Like I don't understand. 
is so dumb. So the people call Aaron and they're like, bro, you got to make us, you got to make us some kind of idol. And that this idol will be the image that we worship that who brought us out of Egypt because we don't know where Moses went. He took off. He ain't coming back. I mean, he's gone for a long time. So make us an idol and this will be the God we worship who brought us out of Egypt. It's how stupid that how that's, that's proof that your that their mentality was pretty jacked up. <laughs> so God tells Moses, he's like, freaking crap. He's like, look, you go down. He's like, screw it. Go down. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to let my anger burn. He's like, I'm going to kill these people and I'm going to make a nation out of you. He's talking to Moses. He says, I'm going to kill all these people and I'm going to make a nation out of you. I'm going to start again with you. This is nuts. They didn't even make it to the promised land yet. <laughs> Moses, Moses was like, whoa, no, don't do it. Oh my gosh, don't do it. He's like, because then, then all the nations are going to think you just brought the people out there to kill them or that you were unable to get them to the promised land. This is nuts. What's the point? The point is, is that God wants to do things, but it requires our cooperation. God wants to do things, but it requires that we trust him. God can do things. It's not a problem. The, 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 the times we run into problems is with our ability to trust or our ability to have faith. And that scene in the history of Israel, and it relates to us today, because there's things that God's accomplished in the spiritual that he wants to manifest, and to manifest those things requires our attention. It requires our action. It, it requires that, one, we learn about it, what it is. We have to have knowledge and insight Right, which is why God gave us, which is why Jesus was like, Look, it's better for you if I go, because if I go, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to teach you all things. He's going to remind you of everything I said, and He's going to lead you into all truth. But you still, you, <laughs> you still got to trust what he says. You, you still got to learn how to follow that. You, you got to learn how to lead by following. You have to learn how to grab hold of the things God says, cultivate them, you know, these divine uh, strategies, these divine solutions. You got to trust in them and believe in them enough to actually put them into action to create change and to create influence. So, because here, here, here's the purpose, right? That Jesus, let's see if we can get into this. I hope, <laughs> I hope I can make this make sense. It makes sense in my mind. I understand it. I just, I'm going to try to communicate it. All right. In, um, so we're talking about things being accomplished in the Spirit. And then those things, God longs to be manifested, but it requires our participation. All right. So in, um, let's see, in Ephesians 1, 
Paul's talking about, um, what's he talking about? He's talking about redemption. So he says, all right, let's do this. All right, Ephesians 1, verse 3, and some more. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. All right, so right there, that's a pretty big statement. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. What was his will? To make us his sons, sons and daughters by Jesus. That was his will. And he accomplished that. He made us holy and blameless before him in love. He did that through Jesus. According to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven in which are on earth, in him. In him also we have, been, we have attained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, right? Which means he accomplishes what he wants to accomplish. <laughs> but that was like Israel, right? The first round didn't make it, but the second round did that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. All right, there was a ton in there, and I'm only going to talk about this one little bit. All right, so in, let's see, in verse 7, he says, In him we have redemption through his blood. Okay. What does redemption mean? Because it says we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace. Then it says down in verse 14, well, 13 and 14, he says, We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. So the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, right? Now, he just said that in him we have redemption. In who? In Jesus, we have redemption. What is redemption? Redemption is the process of regaining possession of something you once possessed but then lost through a payment. Redemption is the process of regaining what you once possessed, lost, but then you repossess through a payment. You have to purchase it back. 
All right. So he's saying, you have got, you've, you, you are in redemption. You have redemption when you heard the truth and believed. All right. But the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Okay, stick with me because I'm, I'm going to try to make sense of what is happening in my mind. Okay. Redemption is complete, if you will. The purchase was made. So redemption is regaining what you once possessed through a payment, all right? In Romans 4, right there at the end, uh, let's see here. It goes like this. We're kind of catching it in the middle. He's talking about uh, Abraham's faith and faith in the promise brought about righteousness. And Paul says, now it was not written for his sake only, for Abraham's only, that it was inputted to him as righteousness, but also for us. It shall be inputted to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justifications. Now this is deep. Jesus, this is Romans 4, verse 25. Jesus was, he was delivered up because of our offenses. But he was raised because of our justification. <laughs> he was delivered because of our offenses, but he was raised because of our justification. I don't know if you see the, how the tide changed there. Jesus was delivered up because of our offenses. All right. So Jesus said, he said, I came to seek and save that which was lost, that which was lost. Then on the cross, he said, it's finished. What's finished? What he came to do, what he came to seek and save, what that which was lost. It says in, um, well, we just read it there in Ephesians, but also in Colossians. It says, God in Christ Jesus reconciled all things to himself, whether things on earth or in heaven, visible or invisible, ruler, authority, all things have been reconciled to himself, right? Everything, his purpose was to bring everything into one, Jesus. Jesus was delivered up because of our offenses, but was raised because of our justification, His payment was good for all time, right? It was the one sacrifice. He, was, he came as the spotless lamb, right? Without sin, without offense. He came and then paid the penalty, all right? That penalty, that payment, rather, purchased what was lost. The thing that was broken was no longer broken. As soon as he gave his life up, the payment was complete. <laughs> that payment brought about justification for all. That's why he was raised to life. Jesus became a man, fully God, but became a man, was raised to life because the payment he paid justified us. What Jesus came to do, 
was complete in that one payment. So if you will, right, everybody has access to redemption, but not everybody's living in it. The, the work in the spirit of redemption, the, the, the payment was complete, but the work of repossessing is still at hand. And the, the, the people who work towards redemption, the process of people getting out of bondage, into freedom is part of our responsibility. It's part of our duty. It's, it's, it's why we're still here on earth. God's goal wasn't to get us to heaven, right? Jesus redeemed the world because he created the world on purpose. <laughs> you wouldn't go through all the, all, the, all the effort to repossess it if you didn't care about it. God's goal isn't to get us to heaven. God's goal is to bring is for us to bring heaven to earth. That was the mandate in Genesis. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. <laughs> what Adam and Eve lost, Jesus restored. God made man to manifest on earth his invisible kingdom. And that's still the role. Jesus said, as you go, go into all the world and make disciples of nations. Interestingly enough, he didn't say make disciples. He, he didn't just say make disciples in nations. He said make disciples of nations. What's the difference? The difference is, it, it's not that you don't make disciples of people. Don't misunderstand me. It's just, if we, if we understand the fullness of what Jesus was talking about. Because to make disciples of nations means that you, you influence the structures of society in the world and you infuse them with the principles of the kingdom of heaven, with the function of heaven. To make disciples of nations means you have to participate and influence law, legislation, education, media, business. Like, you have to get into the things that make up society, economics, <laughs> again, business, government, you, you have to participate in these things to, to influence the function, to bring the function of the kingdom and influence the things of this world so that the things of this world start to look like the things of the kingdom. Right? So where you start to replace unrighteousness with righteousness, you, you, you start to take out um, some of these ideas and these these laws and these perspectives that are that are based on deception based on bondage based on um, just things of this world and you start to 
replace those with the things of the kingdom. That's our role. That's our job. That's, that's, that's what it means for us to take new territory. Like the territory is already in the, in the spirit, if you will. It's, it's already like in Deuteronomy. He's like, look, I'm giving you this land. It's already yours. But you got to possess it for this to, to really work. <laughs> you got you, you to possess it and engage in battle. You see, Jesus defeated the devil. He disarmed him. Having nailed the only thing that he once had on the cross, right? Which was our sin. It, when Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't just disobey God. They walked, they, they, they traded authority. They were under God's authority and walked in his authority and then traded that for the authority of the devil and walked in his authority. They obeyed him over obeying God. And that brought them unto new authority, a new type of government, if you will. Well, so Jesus came and broke that authority. And now all authority is Jesus's on heaven, in heaven, and on earth. And now we're seated with him in heavenly places. And he says, hey, look, as the Father sent me, so I send you. His all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore you go. What? In his authority. And do what? Establish, bring the kingdom, the function of the kingdom to earth. But look, here, here's where the new mindset comes in. If you're still, if, <laughs> if anybody's still with me, here's where the new mindset comes in. Your gift, God's given every single one of us, one of us a, a gift, and that, that gift is the tool in which you make your contribution. It's, it's, it's the vehicle in which you're able to bring the kingdom to a place of this world. We, Jesus said, you're the light of the world. He didn't say you're the light of the church. Stick with me. This isn't, this isn't like a bash this is just like a, we, we just, we need, we need a little bit of clarity and we need to kind of just adjust a little bit our perspective because church, let's, let's go like this. All right. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus said, let's make disciples of nations. Now, the only way to influence nations is to participate in the things that make up a nation, Right. That means that you're not going to disciple a nation inside of a church building. That means then that your gift is not meant for a church building. Or we could say it this way, it's not just meant for that. Yes, use it and develop it, but use it in the world where you're called to influence there's things that God's want, that God wants to do. There's, there's, there's places that God wants to bring healing. There's places of unrighteousness that God wants to bring righteousness. But that's going to happen when the people of God start to use their gifts in the world. Which means for some of us, we, 
we have to think differently about the world. We have to think differently about who we are and what we're called to do. And the level of responsibility we actually hold and how we'll be held accountable for what for that responsibility as well as to the degree that we understand that responsibility. In Ephesians Ephesians 4, it talks about the reason God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, right? This is to equip the saints for works of service. Let me just find it real quick so I quote this correctly. Mm-hmm. Yep, he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, the work of service, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all reach unity in the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let's just read that again real quick. So God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, meaning there's, you, you have a gift. That gift is the solution to a problem. That gift has certain faculties. It has certain... It, again, it's, it's the tool you use to, to create your contribution on this earth, right? So you got a gift. Now, the role of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher is to help you discover, define, and refine that gift and use it in the world. It's not just, hey, how can you serve in the church on on a Sunday service? That's not bad. Don't get me wrong. That's just not it. It's not all. That's like a tiny piece. So the purpose is, one, that you discover, define, and refine your gift so that you can use it. Two... It's for the edifying of the body, which has to do with you understanding your gift, as it says further down, right? Till we all reach unity in the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Till we reach unity in faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, who he was, why he was, what he came to do, what he restored, what he's called us to. Until we become a perfect man, fully mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, stature, of the fullness of Christ. He says, then, right, this is all so, so that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craft craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, which is Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effect of work, working by which each part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. What does that mean? That means for the body to become strong, it needs every piece understanding what its role is, how to use, and how to uh, get into that role. That therefore, 
the fullness of the body becomes mature. It, it becomes strong. It works together. Um, if, you know, if, if you're lifting weights and, you know, you, you have some deficiencies or some weaknesses, some, um, where you're kind of out of balance, where you've got some muscles that are stronger than others and therefore they have to work harder, um, to make up for those weaker muscles, you can, you can start to have some, um, conflict in the body. It can kind of throw some things out of balance and pull some stuff out of joints and whatever. Right. So there's a, there's a necessity for the body to work together and each part has to be strong and developed for the whole body, um, to be strong. And that's the picture he's painting. So, the Sunday service isn't about, it's not about, there's just a guy up front who gives you a sermon, then you leave you go home kind of the same, you come back next week and you kind of do nothing. No, the, the point of a message, the point of these teachings is to equip you, is to help you grow in maturity, to help give you insight into the knowledge of who God is. Dude, that knowledge, when that knowledge is true, it, it, it gives you access to new ideas that bring about new solutions, new imaginings that create growth and development, skill and ability. Right, like right here, he just said, as as we grow in the the knowledge of God, understanding who we are, why we are, what our gift is, how to use it in the world, where we're supposed to use it, um, and you know, for one another. But as we discover these things, they'll keep us. We'll no longer be infants tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching. One one of the the indicators of maturity is stability in that you're not as easily tossed around, right? If you're easily tossed around, then you're not really, you don't have a firm grasp on something. If, if, if you're constantly like wavering back and forth, it's because you're not sure which side to trust, this, this idea or that idea, this, I, this idea of who I am or this idea of who I think I am, what this person says or what God says. Or is that what God says? I don't know. You know, it's like that, that lack of understanding creates that instability. So understanding would create greater stability because then you know what are the things of God and I'm going to hold on to those things so that when I hear these things that aren't of God, those don't even distract me because, because I'm so acquainted with the truth What's not true is very easy to detect. Not because I have to focus on what's not true. It's just by knowing the truth, I automatically know what's not true to a degree. So the purpose of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher is to equip you to take action, to discover your gift, and then to use it in the world. Right? Like there should be strategy, some insight into how to better run a business, how to do politics correctly, how to um, influence education, how to create, you know, sick movies, sweet movies that, you know, tell a story, 
of wholeness and restoration and of just glory, you know, of writing songs that people in the world would listen to. And it would just, it would, it would, it would cause them to just start thinking about life differently. Like there's just, man, the whole point <laughs> is to equip the people, man, to dominate. And when I say dominate, I mean like become so good, B- develop your gift so excellently <laughs> that, that, that people will seek you out to bring the solution that you want to bring. People will stop and just stare. They'll just stop what they're doing to watch you work because you're so good at what it is that you do. Like that's the purpose. The work of redemption was complete, right? Like the the authority transferred from the devil to, to Jesus. But now the reality of the will of God, it, it has to be, it's, it's got to be worked. It's got like if it's dough and you're going you're gonna to throw some influence into it, right? You, you got you to gotta, you gotta put that uh, yeast in there and you got to work it in. You got to massage it in, right? You're going to, you want to harvest something, you got to plant some seeds, right? First, you got you to gotta work the soil so that you can plant the seed, so that you can tend it, so that it has a, a place to grow. Like you got you to gotta put some things in and then you got to work it to create that influence. We want to demonstrate the function of the kingdom so that then you have a reference to be like, hey, people are like, what the heck was that? I said, dude, that was, that's the kingdom. This is how people start to fight their way, force their way into it because they taste the function. We are called to function in the world not to be scared of it. You can't, you can't have influence in something you don't participate in. When you don't participate, you spectate, right? You sit on the outside and you watch. And when you, man, when you, when you, be, when you become a spectator, you become a judge, somebody who scrutinizes everything. This is just a byproduct, right? Like it happens to all of us. Whenever you're not participating, you know, you just, you're just like, wow, I don't agree with that. How come they're doing that? They're not doing that effective. But then what's like, if, if you ever get a chance to volunteer or like, you, you know, you, you had an idea, you're like, oh man, let me, whatever. You, you found some way to participate, right? And then your whole perspective changes. You're like, oh man, I did, they're like struggling with this. Look at, look at all this stuff they're doing and how good it is. And, you know, you, you start, you, you start to see more of the real picture and it changes your perspective. Why? Because you, 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 you got your hands dirty. You got in there a little bit. Everything changes when you participate. But man, when you just, when you spectate, you just become a judge and you become annoying to yourself, right? It's like all your thoughts are negative and it's just like, man, I don't even want to hear myself talk right now. So the point is, is that there's things that God wants to get into. There's things that God's called you to. There's things that God's called me to. And it it requires a different kind of, of thinking. It requires a, a, a different kind of mentality. 
And we have to adjust to that mentality if we want to participate. You were designed to participate. So your life's going to miss the mark if you don't participate. Like, like you'll just constantly be dissatisfied. There's this, um, there's this quote by a guy named Benjamin Disraeli. Disraeli. And it goes like this. It says, The secret to success in life is for a man to be ready for his time when it comes. The secret to success in life is for a man to be ready for his time when it comes. The only way you could be ready to get into something is if you have some kind of insight into the future. If you have some kind of vision of what could be and what should be of how to um, create influence and where you should create influence. Because there, there's a process, right? There's a process of discovering your gift and then working on developing it. Where should you use it? Where are you going to use it? You know, how do you use it? How do you become better at that? Um, to prepare requires vision. And so there's things that God is calling us, has called us to do. I don't know about you, man, but shoot, man, talk about God's called us, right? He's calling us to something. He's calling us to take new territory, to go beyond where we've been before, to actually have influence and to impact or, or to continue to have in, impact or continue to bring higher levels of influence, to take higher levels of responsibility for ourselves, for the outcome of life, for the people around us, to teach and train and equip people to, man, do things that matter, to bring solutions to various problems to be people who participate and not just stand on the sidelines and spectate. Yeah, man, I just, this new mindset, it requires vision. That vision, believe it or not, that, <laughs> that vision requires self-discipline. Like it, it, it requires, it, re, it requires your attention. It requires your participation, your focus. It requires your action. It requires follow-through. It requires faith, trust. It requires you having more belief in your ability to hear God's voice than the circumstances. <laughs> Right? Because that's what happened to Israel. He's like, look, everybody's like, dude, the land is amazing, but the people are too big. And, and so the conclusion they, draw, they were drawing was that, that God brought us out here to kill us. Because the people are so big, that's the only outcome they could see. The situation and circumstance was so scary that they're like, There's, I mean, we've never done this before. I don't know. We just, you know, God brought them out of Egypt. They didn't have to do anything. The only thing they did... What's God told them to go to their neighbors and ask for clothes, jewelry, you know, gold, silver, 
so that they would totally loot Egypt on their way out. But they didn't have to do anything. But when it came time to the promised land, they were going to have to do something. Why? Because to get into the promised land, to get into the new territory, it requires new levels of responsibility, which means you have to think about life differently. You have to think about yourself differently, your capabilities, your capacity, your ability to grow and develop and mature, right? None of us are done maturing. We're not, we're not, we're not done learning. There's, there's no end to what you can learn, to what you can understand, how you can develop and grow and become skillful. There's no end to the potential you can realize while you're alive. If you're alive, you're still full of potential. You still have the ability to become. So to get into this new territory, it's going to require that we change the way we think. And this is the time of getting into the new territory. The things that God has already accomplished, there's, there's the, the byproduct of that is, is manifested on earth through our cooperation and our participation. What I'm saying is that, man, you got a role. You got a job. You got a gift. You got a responsibility. We become kingdom representatives on earth. And it's our, our, our role and duty to represent correctly the kingdom of heaven, the function, the wholeness, the restoration, man, the, the healing, the beauty, the abundance, the solutions, the function. Come on, somebody. So this is the journey we're on. We're having a whole new territory, learning to think different growing in knowledge and understanding. My good peoples. Let's go into the promised land, man. Let's take new territory. Let's have influence in this world. Let's do things. <laughs> Let's step up. When, you, when, the, when the people are big and scary, let's step up even harder. Maybe I'll, I'll end with this. Moses was telling the people um, at some point, he was like, hey, these people, they're big and scary. I was, yeah, 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 somewhere in there. He was like, look, oh, this was like later. This was like, it's still in Deuteronomy. But he was talking about once you've taken over the land, the promised land after you cross the Jordan, right, and you hang out, and then you get into you find conflict with the surrounding places that, you know, weren't your inheritance. He says, when you see these people and they're numerous, right? They got, um, they got horses, they got chariots, right? And you don't have any of this stuff. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be disheartened. Don't be dismayed. Don't even worry about it. Remember that it was the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Don't be afraid and don't be disheartened. In, um, in Joshua 1, God tells Joshua, he says, Hey, have I not commanded you? Be strong and very courageous. You know the difference between a command and a suggestion? A suggestion is an idea 
presented for your consideration, right? Um, it's like, hey, you know, if 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 you did this, this, and this, you know, it would probably impact your income. It would uh, impact this and this, you know. So if it's, you know, think about it. If it's something you want to do, do it. If not, you know, no big deal, right? It's up to you, right? That That's like a suggestion. Where a command is an authoritative order that transfers authority and responsibility unto you to complete it. A command is an authoritative order that transitions responsibility. Responsibility always comes with authority. To accomplish whatever the order was. So a command isn't based on how you think about it. It's not based upon... It's it's not up for debate. It's not up for consideration. It's a do it. And then there's this expectation that you're going to accomplish that. So when he says, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, it wasn't a suggestion. My good peoples, man, God has some amazing things for us to get into. And it's going to require our participation. It's going to require that we let go of some of the things that we used to hold on to so we can grab hold of these new things that will help propel us into the future. Mm -hmm. Amen. My good peoples, until next time.